Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the code vein of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. Listen Mom. It's called Porno Grind, and it's art. And I'm the black metal guy, a.k.a. that feeling when you haven't flossed for two months, but you floss, and then it sort of pours out a torrent of blood. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, it, it, the, the whole flossing. Did you see that study recently that was like, oh, it feels good, we, dude. We don't actually have any evidence that flossing does anything. It just seems like a really good idea. <laughs> I, I I haven't heard that study, no. I mean, I don't know. My dentist seems to think it does, but, you know, who knows. Um, look at look at look at this luxurious guy having a dentist and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'm 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 a lucky man. Very Poor. false. <laughs> you got health care and shit. It's like, nah, I don't do any of that. I get sick, I die like a real man. <laughs> oh shit! Oh. We got a uh, we got a weird weird batch of albums today. Weird show today. Uh, sort of uh, dipping back into deeply uncool uh, 2000s styles of metal, pretty consistently across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I don't think we have any news today, so real quick, top of the <laughs> hour. Uh, social media, follow us on it. Death Metal Guy on Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, feel free to tag us in all of your dankest memes. And uh, additionally, uh, as a side note, I'm your conscience. You've been listening to Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast for a little over a year now, and it's starting to wear on you the burden that these guys are providing such sick, hot takes on a weekly basis, and you're doing nothing to fund the war effort. Well, here's your opportunity. The best way to support us is by subscribing on patreon or subscribe star where three dollars and up gets you access to our terminus prime bonus episodes and five dollars and up gets you access to the terminus black circle where we talk about uh what kind of old 90s cartoons we want as tattoos and argue about the merits of scythian just kidding there's nothing to argue just everybody's listening to them now oh do you like scythian now uh, well, a couple of guys in the Discord were talking about listening to Scythia now and getting really into it. Oh, yes, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> your, 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 your fucking decade-long effort to make Scythian a thing is starting to take root. Yeah, yeah. They had, um, I don't know, they had a brief moment of attention in 2000 and 2009, maybe. And then uh, <laughs> it turned out that... Uh, I suppose it turned out that historically accurate Indo-European battle metal wasn't what the uh, wasn't what the European festival circuit was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, actually, so you got first album today, and this is a terminus first because, ladies and gentlemen, the black metal guy has brought his first ever brutal death record onto the show. Yeah, well, um, this just had a, uh, cra- you know, um, crazy-looking cover and absurdly aggressive title, and I thought, well, we have to cover this. So this, this <laughs> the band is Blind Hate, and the record is Shinbei, Expulsion of Foreigners. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's coming out on Rock Stack Records, and nobody has even bothered putting the timestamps on the on our record of the English version yet. Oh yeah. So this, this is, a, is this is a very Japanese release. This is this is deep cut Japanese mu 
music industry stuff, which I'll touch on a little bit when we cover the record. All right, cool. Um, so for my first pick, we have the inaugural release by Gallows with uh, 66 Black Wings, uh, released on an imprint called Catafalque, uh, which I, it, which is almost certainly like one of the guys or a friend. Yeah, it's, it's the first release of the label. Yeah. yeah, so brand new label. Playing a sort of a old school 2000s style, uh, old nowadays black metal, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's a pretty fun one, and uh, I think we both found a lot to like there. Oh, uh, forgot we were doing the sandwich. All right, yeah, I'm uh, I'm up again, and we have the uh, newest entry by Notorious DSBM Project Thy Light with a new self-titled EP that is basically a full-length record. Uh, this is an independent release right now, although I believe that there is a a vinyl press in talks for a little bit down the road. Uh, super long-time fan of this band from the first demo tape, so very excited to see what he's doing now. And finally, uh, we are checking in with a band from Finland that uh, I've had my eye on for a while, although I, I missed their last album for whatever reason, but um, a band called Hanging Garden, and the record is uh, Skeleton Lake uh, out on Life Force Records. Um, difficult to characterize, although I think as we'll talk about, it wouldn't have sounded as unusual 15 years ago. Um, it's, uh, but basically it's in the vein of sort of, uh, gothic doom, gothic death doom or something, although it's, it's gotten more towards the gothic part of it as, uh, on this record. All right, and we are kicking off a episode of Terminus, which of course is what we're doing, with, uh, Blind Hates Shinbei Expulsion of Foreigners on Rockstack Records. Took me a I'm sec. So, I am so proud of you, my large adult son. You've brought I a fought. death record onto the show. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So, basically, I absolutely picked this because the cover and title are sick. Um, <laughs> and I was like, clearly, this is, this is absolutely insane in the way that we at Terminus, uh, um, think is aesthetically valuable. Um, so, <laughs> so we, uh, so yeah, here, uh, this is, I mean, for those of you who are just listening, the cover is a, uh, sort of dazed demon samurai, uh, putting a gigantic sword through the eye of a Japanese, de- like an oni or a big Japanese giant demon. Uh, and there are a bunch of crucified heads, uh, presumably of foreigners, um, behind him, or or heads on heads on a what is that even? It's like a it's a scaffold of heads. <laughs> yeah, the so. the heads are taking up where the the top of the cross would be. Yes. So, um, very sick cover. Um, certainly a statement. Um, and. Musically, I mean, you can see even from the cover imagery, you can get an idea that, okay, this is probably going to be brutal death metal that has some sort of a hardcore undertone, just from the general flavor of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've also told me about the Japanese brutal death scene, and it has sounded to me like it's something that would be up my alley. So, you know, basically, I just briefly clicked on it and was like, yeah, okay, this is brutal, Um uh, let's see what the death metal guy thinks of it, and then you gave it your stamp, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, um, 
So, yeah, we've talked about the Japanese scene uh, a little bit here and there. I, I'm a big fan of the Japanese metal scene as a whole. Um, and in particular, the Japanese brutal death scene uh, has a long and enduring history. Uh, and one thing that's kind of a commonality between all the Japanese brutal death bands, be they more old school or more modern slam, is a direct connection back to New York death metal from the mid-90s, um, which is a scene that I think, after hearing this, you should absolutely be checking out, because everything that you like on this record is coming directly from New York circa 93 to 98. Um, we're talking about bands Yeah, like, you've uh, told me about Internal Bleeding before, um, and yeah. so... Yeah. yeah, Internal Bleeding, I think, is the biggest influence on this record. You're also going to hear Old Dying Fetus, like the first couple records, uh, Dehumanized. Um, and then if you wanted to go down the rabbit hole, you could check out bands like Reputilation or Scattered Remnants. Uh, Reputilation might be a little bit much for you, but you might appreciate the weirdness of it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, and this style of New York death metal that is distinct from, say, like the incantation or immolation style is the fact that mm -hmm. it's deeply, deeply connected with old New York and Boston hardcore, um, which you can hear in fits and starts on, you know, the old suffocation material, but comes out way stronger on some of these bands that are a little less known. And Blind Hate, these guys are directly pulling from that playbook. Um, which is not something you hear a whole lot anymore, which I thought was really interesting. And honestly, their execution of it is super strong. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, like in some sense it's weird. Like when, when you bring a brutal death, a moderate, like, a, you know, your style of brutal death record on, I just get in this kind of mode where it's like, well, okay, I don't listen to this. Let's just see what there is to like here. And, uh, you know, get in this kind of, um, uh, you know, I try to sympathetically inhabit the brutal death <laughs> worldview, right? Um, here, uh, with something like this, it's close enough to things that I like that the brutal deathiness of it, like I can, I can hear it getting like it's, it's like it's not as immediate for me as you might think, right? Mm -hmm. This is still a brutal death metal record, I guess, is what I mean, and like the way that it's organized around these kind of lurching lower mid-tempo kind of um, chain of, you could say they're proto-slams, but they work more like hardcore breakdowns. Mm -hmm. That and the sort of brick-walled production, uh, you know, it takes some getting used to, right? It's like, in a sense, it almost hits me more how unfamiliar this stuff is to me when it's it's closer in some ways to things that I listen to. I can um, see that. Yeah, you know, yeah, because you're used to brutal death being this like completely alien experience, and now you and and approximating sort of avant-garde forms of black death, kind of accidentally, right? Because mm. it's so alienating, right? Yeah, this um, is this is much closer to old school death metal in a lot of ways, and you know th that whole scene of like New York brutal death is oh, it's interesting because it's like it's it's not brutal death. It's brutal death as a stylistic description of something right. distinct from death metal, but this is not necessarily way more extreme than old school death metal in the way that a lot of modern brutal death is. Not really. No, it's more. It's more. I guess it's more. In some ways, it's more technical. Um, and str I mean, I think it is more. I mean, it's 
it's remote from conventional ideas of death metal in a way that brutal death metal is and it's more rooted in thrash riffing than in death metal trem riffing which i think is also a feature of other brutal death stuff um, yeah i mean i would say that but, uh, a lot of a lot of this whole style is built out of sort of thrash adjacent uh tremolo riffing combined with these sort of proto beatdown hardcore ideas yeah yeah so basically so so yeah so it is um there was some barrier to entry for me um i think that uh is definitely really good i mean there's in terms of just like um cool riffing things to listen for it's basically constant um and it does remind me of some of the earliest extreme metal i heard at all which was you know on a late night death and grind show back in the day (laughs) um uh um, and, you know, going over and over again, you know, it, it, it yields more. So, uh, yeah, um, um, one overall thought I had was, um, they're doing something harmonically here where there's some sort of gestures to traditional Japanese music. Yeah, no, um, there's, there's definitely a, a distinct melodic idea that it bears some resemblance to stuff like old internal bleeding or dying fetus, but it's definitely made their own on this record. Yeah, for sure. So that's cool. And, you know, if you're more of a black metal person like me, that might be something that allows you to get your hooks in it, is that there are certain kinds of, um, uh, there is this kind of rooted regional sound quality to it. Um, there are some melodies that are going to sound more sort of, more kind of, more samurai than Yakuza, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, especially towards the back end of the record. And I sampled one of those. Um, but related to that, some of the interesting tonality, it's like, Some of it is like, right, so if I had an overall way to characterize it, it's that this record sounds, it's not like it's really like that sort of weird major key thing that say, you know, you'd get like um, Cryptopsy going for, or in a different way, a lot of modern bands. But there's something brighter about a lot of the kind of melodic ideas being used. And so part of that clearly is the Japanese folk thing. Part of it... uh, like, it always reminds me of Blessed Are the Sick or something. But then I realized, well, I'm not a death metal guy. Every time I say something that sounds like Blessed... Every time I say, oh, this reminds me of Morbid Angel, and I'm, am I just saying this reminds me of 90s death metal that's not from Sweden? Not necessarily. I, I, I think it's mm-hmm. more the kinds of death metal records we like to bring on the show or like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, of some of the early death metal bands, Morbid Angel has extended further into modern technique like it feels like there's still people going back and picking up on nuances from morbid angel in a way that you just don't really see from a lot of the old u.s death so what i was wondering is are those kind of brighter harmonies or whatever are those like in internal bleeding like because i know Uh, there's some weird there are some weirdly bouncy things in suffocation right yeah you'll you'll definitely because we'll uh, i'll play you a little internal bleeding in a bit um yeah no i'd like some of those ideas Um, but additionally, that's also just a feature of Japanese death metal. Like if you listen Mm -hmm. to, um, some kind of classic Japanese brutal death bands, say like Vomit Remnants or even, uh, modern kind of slammier stuff like Infernal Revulsion, you'll hear a lot of those same ideas. Okay, word. All right, well, maybe we should get to the samples then. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so like you said, a lot of this record is built around these sort of 
crawling, mid-paced, breakdown-ish arrangements that sort of form mm-hmm. the, the bulk of verses on this record when they're not doing blasting. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's a, a pretty cool section off of the second track, Torture Even a Dream. This is for sure one of the best parts, and also oh, yeah. one of the most hardcore. Yeah, this is extremely yeah. hardcore, but also extremely death metal. As soon as I heard this, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this is this could be like a dehumanized song from the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's do it. hardcore arrangement but then it's really stretched out um in interesting ways through the death metal itself um you know just for instance the way that riff progresses that that simple like open string palm muted chug riff but then it it breaks into that micro solo and it, it there's an actual melodic arc even though it appears just to be a really cool simple breakdown at first blush mm-hmm. it, it's very it's very smartly arranged music like it, the first time you hear it it can kind of blow past you because it's like well, you know, you're just kind of concentrating on, like, sick mosh riffs or, you know, a cool trem riff. But then you listen to it in aggregate, and you kind of imagine that you're supposed to be listening to this in, like, a dingy Japanese club way too loud. And it starts to come together a lot more, I That think. sounds like a good setting to hear it. Um, also, the, um, uh, even the mosh riffs, right? Like, they're they'll change from i mean you know you'll get a series of different sort of breakdowns or beat down passages in modern hardcore right strung together but usually it's like okay these ones are all in four four or like these Mm -hmm. ones all have a four a quadruple feel right Mm -hmm. um this band will change rhythmic ideas whether that's like from four to three or something subtler than that maybe just like different picking patterns within the same kind of time signature 
they'll they'll do a lot of rhythmic change-ups. They'll like come to the end of the main mosh part and then they'll pull out a sort of different chug that answers it, that has a different rhythmic feel, and then they'll go back to the main mosh part a lot. Um, yeah, and it's you'll also, it's way you'll more also way more subtle compositionally. It's like you know, the, you know. no, definitely. Yeah, you also mm-hmm. hear that a lot on the uh, some of the blast passages where there there's some stuff that almost feels like the band is stumbling, but then you realize oh the the guitar is kind of finding a different one against the drums. They're kind of chopping mm-hmm. up riffs, mm-hmm. uh, like almost in the middle of riff sections in these very convoluted ways. But it always snaps together at the end of the phrase. Um, but it's it's definitely very strange the first time you hear it. Um, but but yeah, after after I heard that, you know, as soon as I heard that passage, I was like, okay, the favorite band of Blind Hate is Internal Bleeding. And specifically, I'm thinking of arrangements from kind of their, well, it was their mid-period when I started listening to them as a kid, but now Mm -hmm. it's, you know, old school. Um, But specifically albums like Extinction of Benevolence and Driven to Conquer. So I've got a sample off the title track of Driven to Conquer, which has over the years slowly grown on me, and now it's like one of my favorite death metal albums of all time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also, if you ever get a chance to see him live, absolutely do it. It's it's fucking crushing. Um, so yeah, let's listen to Driven to Conquer, and you'll immediately hear the parallels between these two bands. All right. So can you hear the the parallels between the ideas there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so so internal bleeding um, does stuff a little bit more straightforward than these guys because, I mean, this was the mid-90s or late 90s when Driven to Conquer was released. But there's a similar feel, especially as we'll hear in later samples in the tremolo riffs. Like the the way um, uh, internal bleeding does these kind of like racing, climbing tremolo riffs is kind of mm-hmm. similar to a lot of the stuff that Blind Hate is doing. And obviously that whole sort of scattered verse section they have there where it's it's almost difficult to find the point to headbang. It kind of slithers all over the place. <laughs> That's something you hear a lot on this record also, I think. I saw in the YouTube comments that the, the drummer died. Did you know this like four years ago? 
Oh yeah, no, that was a that was a few years ago. That was actually a pretty tragic story. He yeah, was, uh, he was a he was a firefighter. Yeah, he was a, a firefighter in New York, and he he died fighting a fire. You know, so yeah, props to him. Yeah. I saw yeah. I saw the I saw him trading once with him, and then once after he passed. And uh, yeah, no, that was a that was That's, a big that was a big impact on the band because he was there from the beginning. And that is a, just what a that quintessential like NYDM, right? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, One of the most important yeah. bands of that scene. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, so, so yeah, um, that I hear the parallel there for sure. Um, also, just like you know, the sort of weird f- flam passages at the end of the breakdowns that kind of dress them up in a way mm-hmm. that a hardcore band would not. Um, but yeah. that say suffocation kind of would, right? Oh, uh, certainly. Or that blind hate would. I, I mean, I've always felt like it was... Uh, no, that's what I mean. Like, so blind hate does that for sure, and you hear simpler versions of it, the internal bleeding. I, I, I always feel like the whole style emerged from death metal guys hearing proto-beat-down hardcore, loving the vibe, but just being physically unable to play that simply, you know? <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, cool. All right. Um... Now we are going to sample what? All right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to keep talking about slams. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're going to the. Oh yeah. Let's. Yeah. We'll just do the title track. We've, as usual, uh, if we both picked track samples from a, tra- a track, it usually means that's one of the core ones. Um, especially if they're both positive samples, and they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is expulsion of foreigners. Um, and uh, we're going to start with this. A lot of things happen here, but um, this is just, we're going to start with this pretty cool kind of springy breakdown. Um, but again, you can listen to the way that they, when they finish it, they sort of tie it off at the end in this uh, sort of uh, turnaround or I think a thing this band uses a lot is codas. I had to look up what that meant to make sure I was using it right. But it's like, you know, like a, 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 a musical phrase that ends a passage, like specifically finishes something like, you know, you're not, um, it's not just you have the riff and then you play three extra notes that make it end, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a new riff that ties off what you've been doing. And they do that, like they do that all the time, but like, it's crazy that they do that with breakdowns. Um, yeah. So listen, listen for that. Um, and, and, and that's a place where you get some of the Japanese harmonic color too. So yeah, expulsion of foreigners, crank it up. Oh, 
know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think we've already sort of drawn attention to a lot of the salient features, right? You get the sort of, um, this is a place where we do get, like, time shifts within the beatdown, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, also just general thought, like, that was... Oh, yeah, like, the, the really sick Coda riff at the end tying off the whole passage, like the kind of faster, blasty one that just, mm -hmm. just played, right? The cool thing, right, that doesn't repeat. That just, that plays through once and they start a new section right at the end of there, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of moments like that where they'll kind of rip out a new riff that's just mm -hmm. used as a transitional piece, just one playthrough straightforward and then the new section starts. Yeah, and yet what's cool is that, like, that is a big riff like that's one of the most sort of dramatic kind of trem melodies on the song um i i can't remember if they repeat that whole path you know they might play the riff again if they play the slam passage again but they're not gonna but they're not gonna like uh that's not like the basis for some chorus part where they play that huge riff eight times right yeah um yeah it's it's very much like uh Signals an extreme confidence. It's sort of like, uh, we've got more riffs where this came from. We don't need to play it again. <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, I mean, I, I, I really like the, uh, the sort of, you know, as a guy that's listened to a lot of the style, some of the sort of uniquely Japanese idiosyncrasies, like that, that weird little thing that's a are you talking about the breakdown at the beginning yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's a very kind of uh vomit remnants kind of technique actually th this whole path that's the thing i was calling that's the thing i was calling springy yeah it, it, the only thing i can immediately it immediately reminds me of in death metal is uh would be some of the weirder breakdowns on um uh none so vile that you've played right yeah, yeah, I was gonna say they have this sort of bizarre elastic rubber band quality to them. Right? Yeah, there's a there's a certain cryptopsy vibe to this, which is also cryptopsy is another thing that's important to Japanese brutal death. Like Vomit Remnants is one of the only bands I've seen do cryptopsy covers on a regular mm -hmm. basis. So I think that was pretty influential of the style. Um, so following immediately after your section is kind of the back half of this song, Expulsion mm -hmm. of Foreigners, and. I want to point out that it's very easy to get caught up in, like, the really cool hardcore parts of mm -hmm. this record. And, yeah, I love those. But these guys are actually really good at just doing straight-up death metal riffs um, and, you know, doing tremolo riffs in general. Which, honestly, a lot of the riffs that they're playing on this are better than a lot of the trem riffs from its source material in kind of mm -hmm. New York death metal meets hardcore. Well, a lot um, of the trem riffs here are better than most of the trem riffs on the brutal death records you've played, man. Like, well, yeah. I mean, like uh, the Oscar Ortega stuff is really cool, uh, but definitely being used in a different way. As far as like big metal, big black death trem riffs, mm -hmm. like things that sort of satisfy those kinds of conditions. These are all really pretty impressive. Yeah, because because they function like riffs in a way that they usually don't in Brutal Death. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> for sure. Yeah, in some sense this is more musically conservative, right? Yeah, um, well yeah, well I mean it's also it's just more legible in general. Mm -hmm. I mean it's, between the, it places an extreme emphasis on legibility. There's, That's there's like, a, a lot of clarity to it. 
you know it's it's interesting even in the I, super uh, loud production you can hear the bass and it's super loud in a way that casts everything into relief well it was interesting because uh you know somebody was saying in the youtube comments like you know it's it's not a great mix but then which i agreed with until i put on headphones and then that changed it completely like, it does sound better with headphones, although I, I don't know that that's the setting you listen to Brutal Death Metal in, isn't it? Like when you're like, like you know, lifting weights or, you know, uh, I don't I know. I do, I do a lot of it while just like playing with my cats at home or playing video Aww. games and stuff. So. <laughs> well, I just listen to it all the time. So. That's true. That's true. Anyway, so let's listen to I just to love that. the idea of putting it on intentionally to play with your cats. Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, ugh. Wilkins is feeling frisky. Better throw on this digested yeah. flesh record so I can really, really get in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Expulsion of Foreigners back half. And uh, just listen to this really nice sequence of tremolo riffs. And then I'll try and talk a little bit about where I think some of the melodic ideas are coming from. I didn't even realize until now that uh, on my sample there, they bring back the springy breakdown. Then there's a quick little interrupter riff, and then they do a tremolo version of that same breakdown, but with an augmented mm. back half, which is really cool. I, there's some really sophisticated songwriting stuff on here that only reveals itself after a few listens. Yeah, this band hasn't... Um hasn't released a record since 2009 um mm -hmm. and i think it's safe to say they've uh, been in the dojo the whole time right this is yeah. like this is extremely accomplished music um there was nobody stopped listening to brutal death metal in that interval right? oh yeah, um, yeah or or stopped playing um and uh or just to death metal in general i mean they probably also listen to black metal yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. They probably, these guys probably have big record collections. 
you know. For sure, yeah. yeah big yeah, Japanese yeah. metalhead record collections, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, the the yeah, the, the characteristic um, completism, right? Um, it's it, it's uh, a specific kind of metal autism you find in uh, in yeah, Japan. Yeah, it's it's a sort of it's a it's a disciplined attitude toward it. It's like okay, I like metal. I need to know about metal. Um, and you know what what are the what are the sort of uh, honored classics that I you know you need to know and understand right um, yeah I think I think it's one of the guys from Abigail that has one of the most insane collections I've ever I mean seen. it's the, yeah the punk the punks are like that too like they uh, you know like you read interviews with them I've said this on the show before but you know different listeners um, <laughs> you read interviews with like a, a Japanese DB like noise core DB in like maximum rock and roll or whatever and they will talk with a kind of like uh um a reverence for the elder bands in the scene and things like that like a sort of formalist sincerity you know exactly absolutely absolutely none of the posturing that western bands do about like oh we just get drunk don't give a fuck you know we just you know we just banged it out (laughs) yeah i guess we all like discharge right um (laughs) you know um uh, absolutely none of that. Just sort of like, um, yeah, serious. Um, and, um, and you know, I mean, the, the Finns are like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, that, like that band we were talking about last week, Reign of Terror, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so this is clearly, yeah, clearly coming from Deep Cuts. Um, uh, at the end of it, they did a thing that I want to highlight on. Do you have more to say about that? Because I've got a thing that can segue it but I want to wait for you to finish what you say. Oh, no, yeah, you can go ahead. So at the end of that, um, they they introduced this Mashriff, sort of this kind of, you know, like melodic slam or something, you know, I missed a few notes in that because it's complicated, but, you know, and each time they repeat it, they like do a fill in between it like each time they finish that phrase or a run of that phrase they have another inter a riff that they stick in between and each time the riff in between is different so you get like Mm -hmm. four repetitions of the basic phrase with four different riffs filling in the middle of each one um and all those extra riffs the sort of like interstitial riffs the in-between riffs, um, each time they're different and each time they perform the same function, even though they're different. Right. Yeah. So we're, and then at the end they tie it off with one of these extra sort of coda riffs. That's like that. So we're dealing with like, we talk on the show. I think we try to sort of support bands who seriously listen to classical music in the way that extreme metal people are supposed to, but rarely do. Mm -hmm. Um, this band really does more so than many more bands that sound more kind of romantic or symphonic or have melodies that sound 19th century right yeah um this is like you know um it's not just a general idea of those sounds or those ways of structuring things like um these guys could probably play sit down and like you know, just like play some Bach on guitar or something, right? Um, yeah, it's um, and the uh, and so yeah, it's it's really impressive. 
And so we're gonna we're gonna go to the second to last track, Dead List, um, which is uh, I think this might have the climax. I mean, clearly Expulsion of Foreigners is a big track, but this might have like the climax moment to the record. Uh, we're going towards this like massive melodic section where you're gonna hear all these iterations of the melody with these different riffs filling in um, in the middle, and and. Uh, how they all kind of these filler the, the additional riffs all kind of do the same thing different ways um and yeah other than that just to lead in just listen for the vocals i would suggest uh yelling victory is always a good strategy <laughs> um idea there that something like and then every time they finish it's like it's this is even within the phrase itself every time they finish it they finish it differently and yeah. each iteration of the riff they're playing it with a each time they run through that little cycle they're playing it with a different way of approaching it rhythmically um it's crazy and so they get probably like eight or 16 reps out of that in like a way that is sort of black metal levels of powerful melody repeated, but with continuous variation throughout it, right? Yeah. And that's like, yeah, that's really, really impressive. I mean, the guys from Into Oblivion would find this interesting compositionally, at least. Well, yeah, it's, these, these are not songs written riff by riff. 
They're mm-hmm. they're based around distinct sort of structural arcs. But the thing is, the the immediate riff to riff stuff is so good that a lot of the time you won't even realize it. You know, it's but you know, careful listening allows you to dig out all these intricacies that really set this apart. Yeah, that was basically that last thing was basically a. Uh... A riff palace, kind of like what we were talking about with Lotus of Darkness last week. Yeah. You know, yeah, like you know, it was it's, this, it's you enter as soon as, yeah, there's a drop out, the blasts kick in, and then you enter this big structure that they sort of think of, they have the idea of one or two basic motifs, and then they just build this massive thing out of it, and you can't pick out, like, the riff, right? Yeah, well, yeah, because it's not... There are riffs, but the purpose is not to find your favorite riff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the purpose is the the entire structure and how it unfolds. Yeah, and also in terms of like the what we were the tangent about record collections and whatnot, that is a very good example of like um yeah, you can hear the Japanese folk quality in the riff and you can hear that it sounds very black metal. And some of the the basic rhythmic outline of that is you could hear it in it's a little bit like Marduk. It's a little bit like any kind of um, uh, any of the more. Well, it's a little like Scythian, honestly. Any of the more sort of morbid, angelly war metal, or also just impiety, right? The good impiety. How's it going, Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back with the new one from Gallows, the uh, UK-based pop hardcore band uh, who took 2006 by storm. Uh, just kidding, it's black metal. Um, <laughs> I <don't>... <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we were recording, I was doing my lead, and it was like, hold on, let me let me do this one. I've got a great one for it. And it's like some insanely deep cut shit that nobody who listens to this show is going to know what you're well, talking it's about. Well, no, no, the funny thing is, well, we, we have a lot, of, a lot of sort of punk to metal pipeline people, and they'll probably remember Gallows. It was, it was in that weird era where, like, it was it was you know it was in that weird last gasp of the music industry era where like alt music was trying to figure out what the next big thing was so you could put out something weirdly extreme and the press would flog it hmm. you know so like gallows had a lot of like screaming and sh- it, like it wasn't really screamo or metalcore it was something more like refused but like poppy like so, you like it was literally like pop hardcore, but like to anyone who was normal, it would have sounded atrocious. Um, I mean, and, it sounds you know, pretty miserable the way you're describing it. But... Oh no, I don't think it's good music. No, um, <laughs> no, no, it's pretty bad. Um, it, it was clear, you know, it's like music designed for teenage boys, right? Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Shonen hardcore. Um, when, when when I call things sort of like bright, bright, shiny plastic sounding. Mm-hmm. Or like neon sounding. That's what it was like. Okay. Yeah. But this is an unrelated gallows. This one coming from Salem, Massachusetts, with their inaugural record, sixty-six black wings, which I guess makes thirty-three bats, which is uh, <laughs> which is like a that's like a lot of bats, but it's not really like a, a swarm of bats. Like if I went into a cave and there were thirty-three bats, I'd be like, well, that's a lot of bats, but I wouldn't leave immediately. You know. 
That was my bit. Well, if that was your intro. Okay, that was pretty good too. Um. <laughs> okay, so so okay, so Gallo's uh, first record, first release period from these guys on Catafalque, which we assume is probably their own imprint or a buddies. Um, how do we describe this? So something we've been coming back to on the show a lot lately is some of the ideas of two thousands extreme metal returning in very strange ways because this strikes me as a record from like 2005 2006 uh in the way that like this most closely resembles sort of normative black metal from that time which is to say it's second wave worshiping but it's further down the road it's a little bit more codified in terms of technique um which is not to say these guys don't have a personality. They absolutely do. And that's one of the things that makes this really interesting. But a lot of these riff types we haven't really heard in 15 years. Yeah, I mean, well, and there's also a question as to, like, whether we even heard a lot of them back in the day. Because, like... Well, you know what? I mean, also, you were listening to Black and Death Metal in 2005 or six, right? Whereas yeah. I was not. So you'll... But, like, from when I became aware, tuned into that stuff, which was probably 07, um, increasing after that pretty rapidly, um, there was tons of Dark Throne, right? I mean, obviously, the names that are going to come up are, like, Dark Throne and Mayhem right mm -hmm. and there was tons of dark throne stuff but it all sounded like transylvanian hunger i mean we've talked about that on the show yeah um at least the most overtly dark throne sounding stuff this sounds very very much like dark throne but it sounds like um under a funeral moon it it, it does and it, it's interesting because it like it it resembles under a funeral moon in the most salient ways but there's also these little things that give it away as like it could not have been done before the last few years you no know, I, I i agree and after the first couple statement tracks they sort of open up the style more and more even after the first track does I mean, the first track is very much like an under the funeral moon track which i'll talk about but like there's a range of sounds in there all of which are drawn thoroughly from the 90s and like early nineties, uh, but they get a wide range of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, so what's a good like, comparison for you from that early two thousands era then? I mean, honestly, the big one that I came up with that I know you're also a fan of is the band Avski, who not, yeah. almost nobody talks about anymore. Um, I think for... some of their stuff has recently been reissued, probably by Helter Skelter, which is one of the only good major label based things out there yeah for those who weren't around for it although avsky is still an active band and actually it has a full really now. yes Absky's really have they put out new material i think a few years ago they did their last record all right um so avsky started in uh it started in 2002 first demo was only in 2006 and then i remember their first album uh mass destruction which was uh, in 2007. Actually, looking at looking up on Metal Archives, it looks like they have not done a record since 2010, but they are still listed as active. So who knows? I, I um, think we're due for a comeback. Would be my guess. I'll, I'll take an Avski comeback. That's cool. Oh hell yeah! Um, 
So Avski was a, a two-man project from Sweden that is a sort of perfect summation of where black metal was in the mid-2000s. It's a, a rigorous and very well-executed interpretation of I want to make a black metal record and it is 2005. How do I do that? Well, you do it in the way Avski does. You have a lot of mayhem and a lot of dark throne. And uh, it's a two-man project, so you're kind of streamlining these ideas and making them a little bit more minimal than they might have been with a, with a full lineup. Um, you're concentrating on big kind of like in the shadow of the horns bangers alongside gloomier kind of trem passages. It, it's very well-rounded, but still Avski very distinct was... to its time. Avski was very oriented. I mean, I mostly remember them for one song, which is fuck your values, fuck your beliefs, right? But they oh, were yeah, yeah. very oriented towards sort of like bulldozer mid-tempo black metal. Not in the sense of modern. It was stompy, but not generically related at all to modern stompy black metal. You can um, imagine you can imagine an equivalent to a, to a degree that people would know better would be something like Kraft. I was going to say, yeah, it's in the same craft and catharsis has survived to still be canonical, which is ironic because they were not very good. Um, (laughs) Catharsis with a K, right? Catharsis was good at being very loud, but catharsis and craft were the two better known variants of this. Yeah. So what Gallows does is they basically bring that style back, this sort of liminal space between the second wave and modern black metal uh, which, but it features almost no overtures towards like truly modern, like very melodic, very streamlined black metal. It's got a, uh, it's got clunk to it. That oh, you every... know. Uh, sorry, my brain is still on the last thing, real quick. Which is, I think, a way to characterize what this con- specific constellation of bands you're talking about is like, right? Because they're not the orthodox bands, they're not the DSBM bands. It's something like. How do we make very traditionalistic black metal in the early 2000s when you associate a lot of the most standout features of the Norwegian scene, like um, grandiose melody or folk influence or Mm -hmm. whatever, where you associate those distinguishing qualities with trash late 90s prog black and sort of commercial versions of this, right? So that's the era of black metal where, say... Even a band like Satanic Warmaster, who is, you know, extremely poppy in a good way, but like mm-hmm. Satanic Warmaster would boast about having no keyboards, right? Yeah. Um People would be like, people all over would put out records saying like, no keyboards, no female vocals, no pussy shit. And so if you were trying to do like real underground black metal in specifically the Norse tradition, you would do like Dark Throne and Mayhem with a big sort of underlying sensibility of the kind of punk that metalheads like. Yeah, I can see that. No, I think um well, actually, here's a good example. How do you how do you how do you do black metal with no keyboards and no pussy shit, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Uh well, you do it by uh by doing a song called Blood Spells to Forest Speed, oh! which is a a a, a song title that means nothing but you know exactly what it means as soon as you hear it (laughs) so let's just listen to the opening of this track because it's a fucking banger (laughs) 
to forest speed <laughs> i like that he yells it a couple times during the cool riff which is all of them <laughs> yeah okay so so I, I i got a weird conceit about this record which is like that this is what happens when you do a simulacrum correctly that actually produces something good rather than like a shell of something because these don't sound like Dark Throne riffs, they sound like the memory of Dark Throne riffs. You know what I mean? A little bit. That might be, uh, my brain isn't fire. You, as you, I told you, my brain is not firing tonight, so uh, <laughs> I might not have picked up on that. I think I just picked up on the uh, riffs that are loud. Um, and that I like. <laughs> um, but so, you might, you might want to explain that to your listeners, because I just heard... I just heard riff... <laughs> so, okay, so we all have an idea of how Dark Throne riffs sound. And, you know, through listening to them over the years and through listening to a bunch of other black metal bands, it, it kind of congeals not into specific riffs, but a, a memory of a feel of a kind of riff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of what happens when a band takes that memory and that feel and rigorously pursues it to try and make it sharper than the sort of foggy thing that's in their head so what you get is stuff that's kind of like under i like that yeah 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 so they're doing something it's kind of like under a funeral moon but you hear weird angles in the intervals they choose that you wouldn't hear actually on under a funeral moon well that sort of that fanned out bar chord on some of Mm -hmm. those things is not a dark throne thing that's if anything it's a mayhem thing but what it really is is an orthodox thing that would have been big in the early 2000s yeah there's there's these Mm. little hints of modern accoutrements like on the very first riff you get that little uh second guitar arpeggio flare at the end of the riff 
which is not mm-hmm. what something that Dark Throne would have done at all. Mayhem, mm-hmm. maybe, kind of, but not with a riff like that. You know, mm-hmm. we're talking about this. Uh, we're, we're talking about the simulated memory of old school black metal, and then what happens when you just pursue that really seriously and almost deliberately don't go back to check your work. You know what I mean? Well, you get something really interesting, and I think that's what you get here. And there's so like other as playing oh, a game of telephone on purpose. Yes, exactly. And then additionally, uh, there's certain stuff that's legitimately old school that's basically been sanded off of modern black metal. Like when it drops from that thrash beat into that lumbering six eight section with the bell. Yeah, that's fucking sick. Yeah, it's great, and it's great because it's so janky. Because it's it's so weird and immediate, and there's no effort made to transition between these ideas at all. It just drops in, in the way that, you know, Under a Funeral Moon, like Crossing the Triangle of Flames, the way some of those riffs drop in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, so. I mean, they're supposed to have this jarring effect of... I mean, they're supposed to be really heavy transitions, and it's a kind of thing that people don't uh, do not do now. Oh, yeah, because um, it's, uh, it's not sweet enough, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, it also involves, like... Yeah, it's it's kind of... It's a hardcore thing, but it's a thing you can only do if you're a metal band, because it requires, say, the ability to go from playing 100... You know, 160 BPM to, like, 50. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Instantly, right? Um... Uh, but yeah, so, um, yeah, I, man, I love that title. It just encapsulates everything <laughs> I love about the second wave kind of vibe. You know, you're supposed to be running through the forest with ill intent. Um, <laughs> and so apropos of that, um, I just love the first song on this record. I think my favorite is the second song, which I'll say something about, but like Roots Twisted in Sixes, as soon as I heard this, I was like, hell yeah. Um, this is a place where the reference, I think probably, I think when I heard this song, it gave me an idea of this record that's a little bit different from how a lot of the rest of the songs actually sound. Like, to your point, yes, they don't actually, a lot of it doesn't really sound like Dark Throne, right? Um, but this song in particular is like, um, shows really careful attention to it to the point where I can basically tell you which riffs these are coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's based on these two riff types that recur throughout Under a Funeral Moon. You've got these sort of simp- sort of grinding power chord riff, um, and satanic speed metal riff. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they recur in, in, in specifically in a few songs. Um, uh, so like... This is, I didn't even put a timestamp on this, but I think we can just crank it from the beginning. Um, and uh, they take these kind of basic riff forms and make them um, seed ideas for things that are more complex in a way that, only, you know, that's a sense of this being written now, is a sense of it being kind of late relative to its influences, is that there's this benefit of hindsight ability to use these basic techniques to write sort of more elaborate kind of riffs not in a neatly not in a sort of unnecessarily frilly or kind of baroque way but just like um going back intentionally to certain sounds um and using them to write kinds of riffs that bands today don't write at all 
Alright, so uh, let's start on uh, beginning of Roots Twisted and Sixes. So it turns out that uh, what I wanted to sample was the whole song, um, uh, but um, yeah, started the sample a little too early. Uh, but so um, basically, so very simple, you know, simple structure. Um, you get uh, there are two main riffs here. There's the sort of satanic speed metal riff that begins the track blasting and then rolls us out thrashing, right, mm -hmm. over one of those sort of, like, loping, slow-down beats. 
um, low, sort of deliberately slowed down kind of Slayer, Slayer or hardcore beat, right? Um, and that's drawing on these kinds of riffs that are um, on Under a Funeral Moon specifically. There's that six speed metal riff towards the end. Um, and also blasted out on uh, Diabolical Holocaust. Um, mm. Some of the Diabolical Holocaust. Um, I went back and checked this. Um, and uh, that is a kind of riff where I've complained about on this show nobody writing riffs like that in black metal anymore. Um, these kind of riffs that have sound a little bit like 80s destruction riffs, but like mm -hmm. sort of without all the heavy metalisms um, and much, much eerier. Um, uh, and so, that yeah, that riff sort of begins and ends the track. And then, and, and what's, what's, what's sort of a... Uh, What's cool about that also is that um, there's an interesting rhythmic thing going on even there. The emphases are falling in different places from where you'd get them sort of conventionally in a thrash formatted riff, even as Dark Throne formatted them in this kind of thrash way. The mm -hmm. emphases are like... They're taking advantage of this kind of swooping, diving sort of uh, guitar format to add... Yeah, to, to sort of give the riff this strange asymmetrical shape that has a lot of forward momentum um and they were do like three bars of four four and then i think one bar of six four or something mm -hmm. on that so the whole it, it allows them to create this sort of strangely shaped phrase um then we get to a sort of uh, more grinding blast riff and that's more like uh you know unholy black metal and some of the ideas in diabolical holocaust too uh and they give it this it on the under a funeral moon those riffs are very primal right here yeah. they're given this sort of strangely snaky shape right um and again this is the sort of stuff that you can do with benefit of sort of uh dark throne didn't need to do anything to make these riffs weird right or yeah. different right you you're in you're originating the style you present the this they're sort of most uh elemental form right so you can just do your sawing two chord riff on uh you know on holy black metal or whatever um or you can just be drawing directly on the thrash tradition right um this has that kind of ability to pick and choose what you want to do and think through okay how can we make something that works say more like a developing melody here or whatever and I think that kind of stuff wasn't even happening that much in the early 2000s. That, to me, that attention, say, to, like, melody and form mm -hmm. seems very last ten, last five years. Yeah, um, no, there's there's very sophisticated stuff happening in the background of this mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like, this is one of those records where you, you can almost imagine them, like, trying to, trying to perfectly recreate a certain era of black metal but there would be these little things that give it away. But in this case, it's just, that's their style. Yeah, for sure. They're taking advantage of the distance rather than, yeah. Um, also just want to point out that the solo actually sounds like it's Ted. Um, <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, one thing that we haven't touched on yet, but I really want to talk about is the vocal performance on this record is awesome. Um, it's got it's old school and snarling, but it has this incredible theatrical quality to it mm -hmm. that is just so awesome. You know, it's it's not just like 
cut to pattern vocal rhythms. They're these yeah. kind of yeah. yeah, they're these kind of weird declarations um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of soar above the music that aren't really they they don't just guide rhythmically the way metal vocals usually do. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, so on the back half of this record, uh, things open up a lot more. So the first handful of songs are really dedicated to kind of faithfully recreating the gnarliest parts of the second wave. But then a little bit more space comes to play on the back half. So I want to sample a track called Come and See, which is... Yeah, cool title. Um, no, 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 that's a great title, but I'm also laughing to myself because I'm looking at a YouTube comment by uh, somebody informing us, this sounds like Mayhem and Darkthrone. Metal yes. horns, metal horns, metal horns. That's what it's <laughs> supposed to do. Yes. <laughs> but actually, this uh, this song sounds more like Darkthrone and really early like uh, Vampires of Black Imperial Blood mutilation in the way that some of these just really strained bizarre melodies come out this is this mm-hmm. might be my favorite uh track on the record so let's listen to uh the ending of this one because it's uh it's very cool <laughs> These keyboards are sick because it's an organ, bro. That's yeah, like, no, that, I mean... That's like the obvious. toughest kind of keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that was fucking sick. That was a great, yeah, great to pull that out at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, because it's weird because, like, keys are basically not used on the front half of the record, and then they start slowly creeping in on the back half. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, I'm starting to realize, like, every one of these songs has kind of, a, like, a weird sound object in it. Like, uh... Hmm. uh like uh, blood spell to forest speed is uh, it's got that big bell in it. The first here. one has the solo. 
Yeah, yeah. No, so there's no. there's like one little weirdo marker that means that it's from 2021 and not 96. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, vocal performance on this all over the fucking place. I love this like ranting vampire shit that he's doing. Like, like a vampire that stubbed his toe really bad and is super pissed about it. Um, <laughs> obviously, the, the way the organ comes in on the back there is amazing. And one thing that I really love, I love how obviously this is a hyper-talented guitarist slumming it really hard. You know, he, hmm. he's, he's doing his best to restrict himself, but he can't hide how, like, hyper-crisp his, like, palm-muted little shuffle patterns are in that in that mutilation right that it's like dude his right hand work is so perfectly on time it's like there's no way that would have happened back in the 90s dude he's just too too clean and too fast with it um but yeah no it's just a this is just an awesome song and this is another record where i'm growing in affection for it the more we listen to it yeah, this is just, yeah, this is pretty cool. I mean, um, you know, a band we should mention in connection to this is probably Gendod, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Coming, like, coming uh, from a very g- different angle, but yeah. Yeah, again, this is more of an homage. Gendod is more of trying to sort of continue the tradition. But, um, you know, Gendod's a little more original, right? And higher mm-hmm. level of the technique is more on full display there. But uh, in terms of stuff that really nails the made by people who really understand what was good about 90s black metal and don't just hear it under the sign of things that are contemporarily are, are things that are popular right now mm-hmm. like that's there's a I, I think a pretty strong connection um uh so yeah as far as any concessions to you know modern stuff also right this this my last sample is going to start with this really sick blast riff um and this is really one of the only gestures towards the Dorian scale melodic sensibility that's big today, the more sort of noble or glorious sound. There are only a few. Um, so actually, this really is one of the only one. Might be the only one. Um, but they're getting there entirely through ways that people could have played, would have played melodies like that in the '90s. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like um, obtained enslavement. Uh, since you haven't mentioned it yet, uh, immortal. Um, and. Uh, you know, it's, and yeah, this, sorry, brain, I brain farted there, but, um, <laughs> immortal. Um, and, uh, yeah, what I, this is just a very, very sick passage. Um, and, uh, you can hear them, uh, engaged in strategic deployment of techniques that were banned under the Norway, Sweden accords of 1993 and for which immortal was placed under permanent economic sanctions, restricting Abbott's diet to cheap beer.
some Avski and a couple days because uh, the power was knocked out in my apartment derailing our first half of the episode but uh, it's actually because Terminus got too satanic yeah it actually got too devilish and mm-hmm. uh, you know the the black woodsman decided to extinguish all the lights for a while <laughs> for me or something like that <clears throat> but uh, for the uh, <laughs> Concluding that dismal turn of events, we have a uh, an equally dismal record with the self-titled, I'm going to call it a full length because it's like 40 minutes long, uh, By Thy Light. Dude, by um, today's standards, that's a double LP. Yeah, basically. Now, <laughs> everyone's been listening to too much hardcore. Now, now like, a, a full length is 19 minutes long. <laughs> you still have to pay $16 for it at the merch table, though. Um, yeah. <clears throat> All right, so Thy Light, uh, I- I'm guessing this isn't a-, a band that you have any familiarity with? I've, you know, only in the sense that at this point we have both seen the names of every metal band. Uh, you know. <laughs> fair, you know. fair enough. Uh, like, I think, I think I had a vague sense that this is probably DSBM. Um, you know, uh, not to be confused with Thy Dying Light, the uh, excellent Judas Iscariot-influenced uh, British... Uh, bashing a noise black metal band. <laughs> not not at all. Very different. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
Okay, so Dialyte is a project uh, originally from Brazil, but relocated to uh, relocated to Scotland a few years ago. It looks like uh, Paolo, you know, the main member, is uh, actually doing live guitar for Sayor now. So he just kind of like uh, stumbled into this whole other scene uh, when he decided to immigrate. Um, so Thy Light uh, started uh, in 2007. That's when the first, it's supposedly a demo, but it's really a full length, came out called Suicide Depression. Um, and 2007 was an interesting sort of turning point for DSBM, where the MySpace era was starting to fade out, as was DSBM in general. Uh, mm -hmm. And Thy Light was one of the last, like, really big projects that's kind of universally lauded in terms of DSBM. Uh, I mean, the only thing that really came after it of equal import was probably like Cold World or something like that. <clears throat> um, so that light, uh, Suicide Depression comes out in 2007. I've been a huge fan. Like I, I heard it like probably a month after it came out and I immediately fell in love because I'm a big DSBM sad boy and I was 17 at the time so it was very important yeah, to me <laughs> and even an even sadder boy <laughs> and now I'm a, now I'm an even sadder 30 something boy oh Jesus still <laughs> listening to thy light um, uh, and what what always defined thy light was uh I mean in many ways it is normative DSBM but it was always a matter of degrees where Paolo's execution of it was just so much better than his contemporaries. Um, you know, the riffs were minimal, but had an unusual harmonic color to them. Uh, the, the structuring was very smooth and organic, but still provided twists and turns that you didn't usually hear in that style of music. Um, I believe Paolo has some background as a like classically trained pianist, so sometimes mm, you can hear some sense. of his yeah, you can hear some of his piano work as like interludes across his records. Um, but I, I think that just informs everything he does. This is still very simple, very minimal music, but you can tell that there's there's shades of harmonic interest that are more from classical music than the standard idea of dsbm it just gives everything a little bit more color and a little bit more richness um, yeah his uh, his fancy keyboard arrangements are very much like they're not really trying to be classical per se they're very much grounded in the sort of like gothy idea of classically influenced cinematic dark stuff mm -hmm. but they are yeah. um very they are fully fully plausible and enjoyable like pretty much on an equal footing with the other music yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, he's he's very good at weaving in those sort of like dark neoclassical or ambient ideas mm -hmm. alongside the metallic stuff, and he really takes that to a new level on this record. But uh, I mean, I've given enough background uh, as as a guy who is <laughs> sort of like brutal death metal, like slowly getting exposed to more and more DSBM uh, mm -hmm. on this show. What do you what do you think of this one? Uh, um. Yeah, I I, th I think I like it pretty well. I would say that, um, you know, like, certainly none of the individual riffs particularly grab me. Of course, mm -hmm. that's not really the, the point of this music, and it's not really the most... I'm increasingly thinking that that's not really the point about anything. 
right? Uh, yeah. You know, when, um, as I as I move increasingly towards anti-riff, um, I, uh, <laughs> you know, like the um, certainly like this is supposed to be more than the sum of its parts music, and it is uh, very sort of. I like the atmosphere here better than some DSBM. So there's some kinds of stuff that I think for you is like the real hard shit that I can sort of like respect, but I can't really go there. So like something like, um, oh God, that really sort of disorienting one that we, we recorded oh, a review when you were catastrophically depressed and yeah, you know, that you was talked a... about mortician for 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, that was negative or nothing. Yeah. yeah. So that, that shit is like, I get it. But, uh, that it's, uh, like that's sort of like the stuff that's disorienting or deliberately hysterical or unhinged. Mm -hmm. I, it's, you know, it's like, okay, I see this. It's not really a mood that's for me. Um, uh, this is all definitely a lot closer to moods that I like. It's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, dour all the way through, but it also has this very, um, yeah, I guess I think that I like about it is that it, uh, it rejects some of the, on the one hand, it's much closer to depressive black metal than like the uh, fully DSBM hysteria model. On the mm -hmm. other hand, it's um, it's got the kind of, it's got, you know, it's got a kind of very gothic romantic fullness to it and a sort of gloomy atmosphere, uh, melancholy, without also like the emo elements that have crept in or the post black elements that have crept in it's um, uh it's it's stoically sad it's know? very stoically sad and i think in some ways it can maybe be a little bit uh its particular mode of downcast isn't quite mine but mm -hmm. i think so it's hard to say whether i'll come back to it but i definitely like enjoyed listening to it and can you know i think i listened through the tracks a couple times for the show so i mean overall i'd say i i approve of this and it's definitely skillfully done and i appreciate the um i appreciate that he's doing a very old school kind of song structures which uh have way more to do with um they harken back well if you go far if you go far back enough to the second wave but as far as the era of dsbm sort of monolithic block suck, block structures like the age of you know like vigorid stuff or whatever oh yeah yeah no vigorid mm -hmm. is is definitely a i didn't even think of that but that's a very good point of reference for this music because these songs i only vaguely remember it as like you know burzum successfully processed into more melodic dsbm and it was good yeah no, that's basically yeah. correct yeah um because and something you say about you know the monolithic block structure there's two tracks on this record they're 19 and 17 minutes long mm -hmm. and th this this fundamentally can't be listened to like a regular black or death metal song because the the time scales that Paolo is operating within are so elongated you know this is supposed to sit in the background of your mind a little bit. You're not really supposed to catch when the transitions happen, you know oh, what I mean? Oh yeah, like something like um uh, what you uh what did you play for me? Um Nictalgia, right? Nictalgia mm -hmm. you can like rock out to. Or yeah. Life Lover you can even sort of rock out to in a sort of rolling around on your floor kind of way. 
right? <laughs> but like, um, uh, but like, this is um, certainly uh, not rock out music. There, it's also, you know, I I've got a good sample for that. Would you mind if I if I lead off? Oh, wait, yeah, actually, that's the order we have anyway. So, um, there's a thing that I occasionally talk about on the show, but just because. And I think we got to it in a pretty interesting way when we were talking about that uh, awesome um, the 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 Sviatogor record. Who who was the band again? Um, uh, Devil Groth. We got yeah we got to it a bit you know talking about the way that Devil Groth is sort of billions of riffs in one riff, but mm-hmm. like you know I have this fixation on the idea of like the infinite riff right the sort of the riff that can be repeated as many times as you want right which has to do with this elemental looping back on itself quality it sort of it it drives things forward while continually resetting um Mm -hmm. and uh that you get fewer nowadays bands doing that because the music is so actively riffy Mm -hmm. and because also if you want to write certain kinds of big fancy riffs you need to turn them around into other kinds right so it usually works best with certain kinds of extremely minimal styles. So this guy um, nails the infinite riff. Uh, and infinite stars thereof, at least the first part of it, you know, because these are really long, sort of uh, is basically built around that or takes off from there. Um, and this is a good example sort of of what you say about uh, uh you're not supposed to necessarily notice the transition. So keep that in mind when you listen. Um, and uh, keep that in mind that this riff has already been rolling for quite a while when I bring this in.
yeah, I think that's that's notable in terms of DSBM because it's an actual black metal riff. For sure, yeah. Yeah, that's like, I mean, yeah, that's like a 90s riff. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, this is much more closely tied to second wave than most DSBM. I mean, the whole, the whole DSBM guitar style, like the normative sound, mm-hmm. isn't really black metal. It's, it's, um, Catatonia's Brave. Yeah, yeah, you're and, right. It's, and mm-hmm. like a few Burzum songs and later on, like some Bethlehem or Silencer. And then later on, just kind of like straight eighth note emo chords and played and I think very somberly <laughs> various kinds of goth some of which blends into the emo chords mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah um yeah for sure no that 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 makes sense to me um so yeah definitely very selective listening to burzum <laughs> um, yeah uh, well because it's it's like philosophem the crying orc and like whatever random third one you pick is what your your band sounds like you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's like the um it's the songs that everyone associates with burzumic black metal which is not really how burzum sounds like people talk about like oh man i just want to listen to burzum and sort of drift away into those sort of like lush they always forget um, about those parts of Burzum. Exactly, yeah, like Jesus Todd, you know, which is the big jam on Philosophum and could basically be a Watain song. Um, <laughs> uh, I've always wanted to like that. I've always wanted to hear some stadium black metal band cover that. Um, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, because it's got, anyway. So back to this, right? That's a real. So that's a real black metal riff. Um, there are variations over it with leads and really good, nice use of the keys. Um, but none of the leads are like a, um, at no point does the lead, the leads are all less important than the underlying riff. If anything, they just mirror the basic structure of the riff, but kind of in reverse, like as an Mm -hmm. ascent. Um, and it's in this kind of, you know, thin post-rocky guitar style that I can take or leave, but is a fixture of the style, right? You get some, some glistening leads, right? But the point is those are all there less to be like oh the rhythm part is the steady constant you should listen to these leads they're more to just create this steady sense of development or change over the rhythm part to give him excuse give him an excuse to keep repeating the rhythm part yeah yeah it's just uh Um, it's the the leads and the keys they just kind of like swoop in momentarily to provide a little bit of different differing texture you know, but the core of it really is just that hypnotic, repetitive riff. Yeah, and then you know we get um, uh, like two iterations of a different sort of melodic structure. Not really a riff, but um, and in a regular song that would function as the chorus, or if we are trying to be extreme metal and not verse chorusy we put that in scare quotes and throw some extra riffs in around it right but um <laughs> uh but right we get this sort of a brighter gesture towards major key stuff that sounds more how dsbm has gone and also a little more post-rocky yeah you get like it, the, the the ascending lead part almost sounds like sour or something i can't say i'm a fan of sour in this context i like it better 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's uh, kind of what happened to DSBM as a whole. Is it, you know, yeah. the, its its whole technical vocabulary got subsumed into post black stuff. So that's yeah, one of that's the things right. that that's one of the things that makes this interesting is that it clearly would have appeal to those kinds of people, but you're never going to confuse this for like a post black band. It's just its objectives are clearly different. Yeah, for sure. And like listening again, like if you really pick out that sort of glistening lead post rocky thing. Um, or post blacky thing. It um, it's quite the lead there is has more character than it does over the infinite riff. Like it's it's you know it's got a it's got a melodic quality. It could almost be a bit chameleonsy too. Um, but like, and you know the chording under it is nice. It's a really nice sort of break in the song. But if you're just listening to it continually, that will whiz by, and then bam, even that part just exists to get you back to the infinite riff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> All right, so a little bit further into this track uh, on uh, Infinite Stars Thereof. Um, so here's the big climax part of the song. And one thing that I really like about Paolo is that Paolo is actually this remarkably talented musician. You know, mm-hmm. outstanding pianist, outstanding guitar player, but he never shows it until he does. Like, all all of the stuff on this record is very simple to play until it's not. So, (laughs) here's a big DSBM climax with a face-melting DSBM solo. (laughs) All right.
the way that solo is arranged. It has so many distinct movements to it, where he's playing around with different stylistic ideas. You know, you've you've got this this wonderful, almost kind of bluesy opening mm-hmm. that moves into this more technical modern metal thing, and then we're dropping back into just Swedish twin guitar theatrics. You know, it's got. It, I'm not a big solo guy, but I love it when it's very arranged like that. It sounds kind of like Van Halen, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah, no, it absolutely mm-hmm. does. There's a, mm-hmm. there's different phrases. Or like Ingwie Malmsteen. Sound... In you know, Van Halen is not, of course, known for being terribly melodic. Maybe maybe Ingwie style shred or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just just yeah. slowed down a little bit, tempered slightly, mm-hmm. but um, ultimately, yeah, it's reaching back to guitar theatrics from the '70s and '80s, which is you know sort of where the heart of the solo lies. So it makes sense. <laughs> It's weird, yeah, it's weird how well uh, he fits that in. Um, I, I, you know, like, I get it somehow makes sense that that would be there. It wouldn't be yeah. totally out of the question for a gothic doom band to do. Um, but it it is, like, surprising and in a good way. When, when you started that sample, I thought by solo you meant just the kind of more standard lead stuff that was happening at the beginning of it and i was like this is i mean this is fine this is not that great and, uh, <laughs> you know like um then, then it's like oh shit the face melting solos at the end uh, <laughs> yeah man well it's uh I, I mean i think the reason it works even as like melodramatic as some of those phrases are is just because it's so earned i mean the the mm-hmm. solo starts 15 minutes into the song yeah, yeah, yeah basically yeah. as it trails off so it you know, it, it just, it manages to, uh, it manages to earn its sort of crazy sugary stuff. And it actually has impact because it's been such a journey to get there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff like that that can be incorporated into metal. It just needs to be developed toward properly, you know? Yeah, it also works well in DSBM because in DSBM there's a kind of individualistic element to it. You know, you're kind of you're dealing with someone's feelings, right? And it's often a one-man project. Um, that doesn't mean you don't distance from that individuality in a variety of ways. Like this guy, this project is clearly not—he's not up his own ass. But yeah. the idea of like that kind of soloing, right, is a little bit like not all soloing works like this, right? Um, mm-hmm. But like, especially in extreme metal, right? Like Euronymous solos don't. But yeah. Um, but like that kind of expressive, kind of still blues, heavy metal inflected soloing is very much like, here is me as a musician, and it kind of fits the idea of a you know, a, you know, sort of a, 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 you know, a melancholy bard that you find in some you know hunched over in some corner of Dark Souls Three, right? And you know, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's he's just uh, he's letting his feelings pour forth. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so first track, like I said, there's there's two tracks on this record. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're just these enormous kind of monolithic, sorrowful mm-hmm. things. Um, first track, really Sonic good. Cenotaphs. So, oh, that's a good one. We'll put that on the sticker on the cover of the uh, vinyl reissue in Hell a couple yeah. years. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's all about the second track uh, called The Crossing of the Great White Bear, which is a, an amazing song title. And I love that it's for a DSBM band. You know, it, 
yeah, it inspires what? so many thoughts when just when you think about that in the musical context. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing that I like about this record, which it, it's almost silly to say because it's DSBM and it's the goal. It's like, oh, this actually makes me feel sad. This actually <laughs> makes me feel depressed because at this point, you know, all of these techniques have been so fully incorporated into stuff that's much more polished and kind of less emotionally messy, you know, mm-hmm. like like post-black, which is post-black's about a lot of the same things, but very cleaned up. You know, you're supposed to you're supposed well, to have it's, good hair while you and cry. it's supposed to lead. Yeah. And also it is um, I think post-black is sort of emotional and individualistic in a similar way but mm. but like and it also wants to offer you a certain kind of solace but dsbm offers you a kind of a pretty it's supposed to offer you a pretty kind of bleak solace right whereas yeah. uh, post black often comes to you with this sort of consoling image of sentimental nature and like uh you know like it i mean a lot of it at this point just sounds like like uh you know sort of um like nice yeah yeah it just sounds it's it's it sounds nice but without any of the the dark underpinnings that make that shit acceptable for extreme metal yeah any Uh, without any of the undercurrent of intensity or yes or the sense of challenge yeah 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 Yeah. so uh so the crossing of the great white bear it begins with this very long very languid uh piano driven passage which is just fucking outstanding uh it's Mm -hmm. some of paolo's best piano work but then when it kicks in uh i swear to god i had like when when the main riff of this song kicked in i had a fucking ratatouille moment where i went back to being 17 listening to suicide depression like in my room staring out the window when it was raining and shit and just being like it's so emotionally fucking dead <laughs> and this one this takes me right back there but in a good way you know it's like I, I i it's nice to be able to access those feelings you know every now and then but man when this main riff comes in after a few minutes of just like beautiful somber piano stuff it's just a sledgehammer onto the psyche it's so fucking cool
know, the best DSBM, e even though it's, you know, ostensibly music sort of about human weakness, the best DSBM always has this undercurrent of strength. Even yeah, if it's, yes. Even if it's just in terms of, like, its finality and its conclusiveness, this is very strong DSBM. I this feel is not for like, sure. Yeah, this isn't, like, effete and complaining. This is... I, I've reached a conclusion about the nature of existence, and this is what it is, you know? it's. Uh, yeah, I think, it, and it also sort of, this is a place where it starts to open up more from the personal. As you were yeah. saying, a conclusion about the nature of existence. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, Thy Light has always been, I mean, like, lyrically it's very personal, but the music has always kind of gestured towards something broader. You yeah. know, a, a sort of refined sensibility of of impending doom, you know, and an acceptance of it. Um, I mean, like the the best the best DSBM is all like that. Like total self hatred is absolutely like that, or uh, make a change, kill yourself is like that. Um, yeah, no, this is. So, so I mean, you would say that it even if it's even if you're not listening to it as a extremely depressed person. Or, like, uh, it kind of has a role of reconciling you to death and loss? Uh, it's it's more that uh, it, a, a good DSBM record should be that guy on the horse next to the Roman Emperor returning from battle to whisper, mm -hmm. remember you are mortal, into his ear. You know? I think that's the role <laughs> of DSBM. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, that's a great image. Um, uh the um I, for, I forgot I think I've heard that story but I forget I, I forgot it so thank you um, I mean it might be it might be apocryphal but it's still it's sure. it's good it's good sure. apocryphal yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean yeah but in, in terms of musical power I mean there's you know another thing that has sort of bled into DSBM and post black right is like Slavic black metal right yes. And if you know, this is the same. It's the same thing as with, uh, as we were talking about before. Like, if you attempt to listen to uh, Autumn Aurora by Druid in the kind of uh, way that you might listen to some of the music inspired by it, mm -hmm. it's just this sort of like benevolent pastoral kind of thing. It will uh, consistently frustrate your expectations, in part because it's based around sort of gigantic deliberately slowed down uh massive chord strums like that right yeah you can hear him lowering the tempo just shy of expectation you can hear the uh, i mean f you know physicality in the plane which you also get in the solo um mm -hmm. and they're just really good chords there, there's like at no point you know what this record is it is completely unfussed about what's original or isn't Oh yeah, no. I mean that that main riff is a, it, it's basically a standard DSBM riff. I mean that yeah. that riff has probably almost to the note been played numerous times but before. It, but it's a very good version of it. There are these well placed little places where it will lower or change a you know change something on the higher strings in a way that just makes it really like yeah it gives it that kind of way to finality yeah um, and a lot of it also has to do with the um the other arrangement decisions like the uh the bass how it's just playing like kind of whole notes mm -hmm. just kind of hanging out in very kind of post-punk way where it's like it's not there to do the same thing as a guitar 
You know, it's it's used more as a rhythmic instrument, and also the well, um, no, in in post punk, uh, pardon the pedantry, but in post punk, what's often going on is that the bass takes the role of the guitar, um, classically yeah. in Joy Division. But but there's also times where it's a, it takes a backseat and it has this sort of glassy kind of pointillistic role. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. And I mean, I think also it's fair to say that it is like relative to the role of the bass in black metal where it's often just cloning the guitar line. Mm-hmm. Then then yes, certainly post-punk bass gives a role to the bass that you can hear that ha- that matters more and that is more rhythmic. I think that's totally yeah. fair. And uh, also uh, worthy of mention is the uh, the the drumming. I, I'm pretty sure these are programmed drums. I think they always have been, but these are very very carefully programmed drums, like to to an almost excruciating level where it might be easier to just record it with a drummer. Like uh, all those very quiet ghost notes on the snare that have been painstakingly velocity mapped and plugged in there. Um, it's it adds a real richness to the rhythmic section of music that can usually just be very static in that regard. Other thing about it not being sort of static is like the classic MySpace DSBM song when the arpeggios pick up, right? The arpeggios would follow exactly the outline of the chords before them. It would just mm-hmm. be here now is the broken version. In fact, the phrase he plays with the arpeggios is, I think, longer, maybe twice as long, and it just, the, the roots and the roots are different. And the roots yeah, are yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. that's like a... And it's, and it's <laughs> equally crushing. That's another cool thing. Rare and important black metal quality. Switch to the arpeggio, switch to this sort of, um, uh, switch to the arpeggios and have it sound like digging in rather than going sort of atmospheric. Yeah, that's that's probably a good uh, a good idea in general. Mm-hmm. So, um, last sort of, I guess, well, related to what you were saying about the bass, um, bass doing whole note stuff, um, and that sort of deliberately slowed down tempo. Uh, this sounds to this a thing that seems to be happening now, and maybe it's also just because we've got kind of these early '90s bands on our mind lately, but like. The thing that seems to be happening now with DSBM is like a convergence between that and um, Peaceville Gothic Death Doom or the more romantic Funeral Doom stuff. Mm -hmm. So like we heard that um, we heard that in a very different way on that Gravkvada record from last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, which was very forbidding to music that was basically structured like black metal, but the entire sensibility was like the bleakest funeral doom. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is this is much slower and less aggressive than that music in some ways, but um, but uh, it's equally sort of like muscular and uh, there's uh, especially when he gets to to the big arrange I mean that that the whole the rhythmic sensibility in that whole passage you just played would fit very well with the sort of gothic doom thing you know it's similar ideas melodically to just the classic stuff like sear me or whatever mm-hmm. Bride. and when he goes to the sort of more orchestrated arranged stuff that he's quite good at then it really starts to sound like those kinds of albums um and uh so 
this track, the end of this track is interesting. So it's, um, uh, we're going to get some, I sampled a metal part, but, uh, the interesting thing about the end of this, right? So this is like how many, oh, oh this picks up basically almost right after your sample ends. Yeah. Like, like 50 seconds. Later. Yeah. So, um, and we get more metal stuff here, but just structurally we go back into, um, atmospheric stuff, then big metal climax for like two or like three minutes max. Mm-hmm. And then just back to atmospheric stuff. And that's the whole, uh, rest of the track. So, um, but here, you'll definitely get a sense of that sort of like heavy death doom, goth doom vibe here. lift there at the end yeah yeah no i think that's also interesting well yeah and you also start to hear the uh when you hear the arpeggiated part in isolation on Mm -hmm. the acoustic like that you start to realize oh it's kind of the root notes are kind of a a sad like celtic folk melody yeah yeah it's it's, i think that would be a better i think that would be a better way of describing it well i mean they're 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 deeply interrelated you know i mean and a lot of the the ideas that are kind of kind of bluesy or kind of folky across this record are all connecting with this root of sort of European folk music, which is, I feel like something that used to be very common in DSBM back in the day, but kind of got forgotten. That's probably true. Like Vigor is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's uh, um, I I feel like the the root of all this was sort of like folk melodies, just the saddest possible folk melodies. But then it kind of got you know it got distilled down into these are the sad chords, and this is a guy that doesn't agree that the sad chords are limited to those. Yeah, so there's a kind of I think that your the overall sensibility is is more Celtic for sure, but there's there's something about the way even just that the particular style of arrangement there too that like connects it to like just alt country stuff. Like I'm thinking like um like Woven Hand or 16 Horsepower or something. Um Oh, okay. Yeah. But um yeah, so I think what I really yeah, but you know certainly the, the you know the boom that is very much also sort of Celtic drone stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so before that, now that we've talked about the two notes for uh, two minutes, um, uh, <laughs> uh, b- before that we had um, that solo was just outstanding, right? Um, oh yeah, that that leads one of the best things on yeah. the record. And you know, there that that's closer to wailing bagpipes or something or a fiddle. Um, it's that that's much more of a kind of folk rooted black or doom metal solo than the one before and it's equally awesome and it's based on this maybe i like it even better and it's based on this more patient this very patient phrasing that's like more melodically structured yeah it's uh it's it really is very deeply smart music Mm -hmm. without ever being flashy or you know without ever without ever notifying the listener that this is very smart. You know, there's there's a lot of ways you can listen to this. You can listen to it very intensely, or you can listen to it as an atmospheric piece, and it really excels in both. Yeah, he he wears his um he wears his talent lightly, which is always the best way to do it. Um you you might have some things to wrap up, but I also want to quickly draw attention to the YouTube comments, which are good. Okay. This guy has a very uh very loyal fan base and some of it's interesting. So uh Best comment is um, from uh, Hasibul Hassan. In my country, it's raining outside, and you guys released those beautiful tracks. I don't know how to give you thanks for the perfection. Just take love from Bangladesh. Heart emoji. Um, uh, up above, we've got uh, Chotu Kumar says, Fantastic. Thy light doesn't even know how many fans in India they got. Love your band. Amazing musicians. Heart emoji. Uh, hell the black metal nerd replies another indian thy light fan um <laughs> so this has like a following in uh yeah india and bangladesh and then get all sorts of you know of course like you know Bra- people from his native brazil and and all that but um everyone's really stoked that this uh that this came out again um or that he's he's fin- he's released music again cuz it's been a while right yeah it's been mm-hmm. uh it's been about uh, eight years since the last record yeah 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 um so yeah people people are excited uh and um yeah i I guess that's all i wanted to communicate hi this is taylor from crushing the scepter and you're listening to terminus podcast And we are back from um, after the depressive black metal of Thy Light with some uh, 
highly melancholy, if not quite as depressive, metal by Hanging Garden from Finland. This is Skeleton Lake, out on Life Force Records, although the band also has their own band camp set up. Um, but, you know, full, ni- full nice editions of every medium on Life Force. Uh, Skeleton Lake, I will say, also has one of the coolest covers I've seen this year. Very, de- just beautiful landscape painting of a sort of uh, still Finnish harbor in the middle of winter. Um, and, uh, yeah, so what what is Hanging Garden? Well, uh, this is band I discovered back in like 2017 uh, with the album I Am Become. I missed one in between two through 2019's Into That Good Night. This band is ridiculously prolific. Um, since 2013 they have put out a record every two years on like clockwork. Um, and it's a large lineup band too. I'm sure members rotate to some degree but this is like a five plus person band at all times. This could only be achieved in Finland, basically. <laughs> um, keeping keeping la- a lineup that big, coherent for that long, um, and uh, yeah, even and that that wasn't even when they started. Like they had done, like they took a four year break before that in 2013, and then they just they did two other records before that, two years apart. So this is very prolific band, and I think they're one of those bands that keeps changing shape little by little over time as they explore different sounds. But the basic concept is something like. Uh, I guess gothic death doom, uh, but you can tell they're drawing on all sorts of other music. I think they said they were into like stuff like Cult of Luna. Um, you can hear bits of various kinds of modern hardcore, post-hardcoreisms creeping in, shit like Amun-Ra or whatever. But the core of it is certainly like Northern European death doom. Uh, I would say that. I Am Become was a lot like every era of Catatonia at once. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like very extremely intense death metal parts that are kind of, you know, the word seamless at this point is a cliche, but seamlessly blended uh, in a surprising way with uh, these kind of almost playful kind of gothy parts. Um, and it had this really unique mood. So the band also, for some context, the band is named after uh, the most kind of exuberant song on the cure's pornography um the hanging garden um and uh the pornography is known as the cure's bleakest and most insane album um it's uh but like the hanging garden is kind of a kind of a banger um and the you know the other weird thing about um i am become was that even though it was sort of very very dark it was sort of uh it was not really, um, it didn't have the dis- despairing, it didn't have the sort of like uh, either crushing despair quality of early catatonia or the kind of just like um, more sort of like embracing kind of indulgence and depression that the later Rocky stuff has. It was, yeah, it had this kind of exuberance. It was kind of, it had all the sort of sensual quality of the cure, which was pretty much always in all of their music very different from a lot of the other goth bands um and uh you could describe it as uh highly corset oriented but with the sword (laughs) with the sword close at hand just in case right (laughs) Uh, um 
you know, there were some moments where it would just, you know, really cool kind of fantasy lyrics too, you know, um, and, you know, moments where they just go full throttle. So I really liked that record. I was interested to see how they've changed. This works all in that general, they have such an expansive concept that this is still in the ballpark of the Hanging Garden, but it's changed a lot. Uh, back in the day, they had female vocals more as, they had a lot of really good male cleans in addition to growls. And some clean, you know, female vocals showing up once in a while. Now that's become a fixture of the band, and it's basically the leading. This is the leading melody thing throughout the record, and the leading vocal form. And I don't think I've heard this many, this much female vocals on like a relevant underground metal record in, I mean, decade, like over a decade. Yeah, yeah. Now all the, uh, the various accoutrements that. Um a lot that would cause a lot of people to dismiss this band out of hand are some of the best things about it actually yeah it's you know there was we talked on the last show i think about or earlier this show maybe i don't know last last fucking time we talked um about um <laughs> no about, keyboards no female vocals yes exactly. yeah we were talking we were when we were talking about gallows yeah a couple of days yeah ago. yeah how there was this reactive moment against you know understandable reaction against things that people associated with dimu borgir and whatever but that were you know uh a baby was thrown out with the bathwater, right definitely in terms of yeah, and so this band is um, reclaiming, swimming to the bottom of the frozen lake to reclaim the baby and thaw it out with their strangely warming ice magic. <laughs> so what do you a, make of it, bro? Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting one. Um, this is this is obviously outside of my usual wheelhouse, but it's still very good. It's it's basically objectively extremely good music. Um, to me, it feels like the big the big idea here is Hanging Garden is trying to make a concrete idea of a band out of all these sort of liminal Peaceville records as all those Doom Death bands were transitioning into more of a goth rock direction. Mm-hmm. But pretty much all of those bands had one or two records where they were making that transition. And there's a lot of good material on those records, but they always feel a little bit uncertain of themselves. They're playing around with ideas, trying to figure out uh, how to pull it off exactly. Hanging Garden is trying to create a foundation with that stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they pull it off. They, they envision a world where the transition stops halfway through, the Pokemon evolution gets canceled, and... It kind of proceeds from there, you know, this sort of dark, doomy, occasionally very heavy, but also very delicate style of music. But you don't really hear it anywhere apart from, you know, Peaceville Records from like 95 to 97. Um, And actually, one of the things I found surprising about this is I feel like in most cases where bands are doing that kind of blended style, um, they tend to be best when they're moving in the softer direction like uh, Mm -hmm. in a lot of these cases i feel like if it's a band blending doom death and goth rock usually they're at their best doing goth rock yeah you want to it's sort of like yeah use the doom death for punctuation and to keep things grounded but basically like don't don't uh, uh, the the weakness of some of those transitional styles can be like don't pretend you're still a, a death metal band yeah 
But in Hanging Gardens' case, the really heavy stuff is actually so good, I wish there was more of it. That's how I feel about this one, too. Yeah, this is about, like, between, like, heavy and soft stuff, this is probably, like, a 30-70 split, and I wish it was more 50-50. Um, it, it, because it was more like that on the on the record I was I was t- telling you about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the the softer stuff is excellent. Like you were saying, all the vocals are fucking phenomenal. The clean male and female, and the uh, the death growls, they're all excellent. Um, but damn, like they can really rip out true old school doom death riffs here and there, and I kind of want to hear more of it. And that's a style that. I wasn't even that into on kind of those seminal records of the early 90s. So, yeah, no, I think this is a really cool album. And uh, I definitely want to go back into the catalog after hearing this one. Yeah, and my guess is this band has so many records in them that, you know, it's entirely possible that two records, like one or two records from now, they'll put out something that sounds like, you know... Uh, the the frosty folky version of Brave Murder Day or whatever, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. Which they're pretty um, close to already on this. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah. So uh, let's let's check it out. This is um, I'm glad I'm glad you like it. Um, so let's go to the very beginning of the record. Um, uh, this is the song uh, Kura. 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 Yeah. Kura. <laughs> there you go. surprised me because i i looked this up to check it out that the uh the woman doing the clean vocals on this record 
at least according to Metal Archives, hasn't done any other records. At least no other metal records, which is very difficult to believe because she's absurdly talented. Well, she's probably, yeah, it's probably the Kari Ruslatin thing, right? Where it's like, this is like a folk, classically trained or sort of classical or folk singer doing, you know, uh, well, there's not, there's not the same stigma against metal in Scandinavia, right? So you can have somebody who's just like, you can, you can be a classically trained musician and do things like that in traditional music. And then like, you know, you listen to some metal from time to time and, you know, then someone's like, hey, want to be on our metal record? And you're like, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's like, and while it was playing, it was like, this shouldn't be fucking cool. Yeah. Like, this, oh, this yeah. should not work, but it does. The, the initial moment where, like, there's this a great riff, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but then there's that, like, dropout, and the female vocals come in, and you're like, this is, it's so, it's like, it's like the parts of, like, big, poppy kind of folk metal things that, like, you he, that, like, I'll hear, and I'll feel upset at myself for liking. Because, like, <laughs> you know, because it's like they ding the bell, and you drool, and it's like, yeah, fuck, I like elves you know um right but like here they just she just it's so it's like it's 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 everything that that sort of simulates this just does right it's it's extremely epic it's sort of the the vocals are soaring and beautiful the chord changes under it are not just sort of filler epic they're extremely powerful and it uh it just gives you that it also gives you that immediate sort of uh immediate sort of sugar rush that the the that the more guilty pleasure stuff does too yeah and well i mean i think what what makes it work is that this is not you know there's a version of this that is completely chilled out you know Mm -hmm. but this has this this has this strident metallic quality even at its softest moments the same sort of propulsiveness that makes it a lot more interesting to listen to. You know, that that sort of windswept glacier vibe. I mean, it's like the guys are, you know, the guys are just walking, but they're walking in a really extreme and very cool environment. You know, yeah. so it, it, yeah, it's still, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it keeps those metal kicks even at its softest moments. Yeah, I'd say that this is a great place where they nail that. Um, yeah, that's something I wanted to talk about. It's like a, an undertone on this record that I didn't hear so much on the last one. The last one, there really were moments where it seems like these lyrics are about Vikings and battles and shit. But, like, um, like in, in certain moments in the songs, it would get very, you know, uh, v- very like that. But there wasn't any Bathory influence. This album often feels like epic Bathory. Mm-hmm. Um, this part in particular, like, rhythmically, it's hitting exactly the tempo... And exactly the kind of three against four thing that you'd get on even one of the Nordland records that you love. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was thinking Nordland is definitely the Bathory point this access is the most. And so it's like the architecture, the, you know, the architecture sonically is very, very different. But like underneath that, in terms of the rhythm section work, I bet they said, dude, let's do a Bathory. Um, and you, you get a, a fair amount of that at different points on this record. And I think that's where they get... Um, those moments where they generate all this drive from a kind of majestic, open, mid-tempo thing are some of the best. No, oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, like I said, there's there's ways to do this stuff that blends softer styles 
of mm-hmm. rock music or, you know, what have you with extreme metal. And mm-hmm. I think these guys have a much better idea of how to pull that off, which is, you know, to keep to realize that metal or even extreme metal is not just about really extreme riffs or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's about these subtle undercurrents of mood and and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and structure and everything. So this is in a way these are kind of like goth rock songs structured like extreme metal songs. I and think that's, that's fair. Cool. Yes, the extreme metal survives as framework basically. Um, yeah, and it's, also it's the whole framing device that makes this make sense. Which is almost the opposite of what usually happens with the less successful bands where they become structurally goth, goth, you know, modern goth rock and incorporate some, like, extreme metal garnish. And often there's so much of it that it's, like, superficial, right? Yeah, they're Um, they're stuffing in black metal riffs into places where structurally they lose all coherence. Yeah, and with something like this is also, like, a thing that the last album, even though it was more aggressive, did well, and that this also does well, is that you never get a moment where it's like um, the aggressive part sort of uh, kills the vibe. Yeah. Right. Um, um, also, real quick about that riff. Um, right? Really great phrasing on that. You hear like the first little phrase is sort of developed in the second. And then the third phrase that like slide down is echoes part of the second phrase. So it's got a really lovely sort of shape to it. Um, also that cool kind of dissonant, uh, that dissonant slide in there. Um, you were saying, I, I mean, I love it. And you get some of that sort of ancient folk semitone vibe there. And maybe also a bit of rock and roll. But, like, what were... You said that reminded you of something. Dude, I'm, I think I've heard that exact melodic pattern on something before, but I it's totally escaping me. I I almost want to say it might be, like, a, a later Tiamat song or something like that. Ooh, that is a very Tiamat thing. I actually wanted to mention that in connection with this band. More so the last record than this, but uh, Wild Honey. Is I think oh, huge yeah. for this band. Wild Honey is going to be huge for this band. Um, uh, you know, later Anathema is going to be but huge for this band. Even that, like, even the sense though that there's like this, it's very kind of northern metal sounding, but still kind of greasy. That's very mm-hmm. Tiamat. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I've gone back and listened to. I've been really enjoying the back catalog. I went went back to it recently, and they have that one that comes out before, right before Wild Honey. That's like. It's still definitely extreme metal, like but they're clouds. De- yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're deliberately using thrash riffing um, in a way that is. Uh, there are actually a couple really good ones from before that. Um, uh, oh, the yeah, one right clouds. before clouds, the astral oh, sleep. Yeah, yeah, is very death metally, but they're like sort of reacting against everyone else by using thrash riffs. Um, and and even then, it already has the Tiamat atmosphere, you know. Definitely. Okay, so goth rocky stuff. Here's a really fun part. This is off the opening of Nowhere Haven, um, and we're so we're gonna have the riff from from uh, Catatonia's Brave, um, and it's gonna linger for a long time. But these guys are really good at playing with texture to juice as much as they can out of these kind of like standard elemental riffs. 
And it's also got a very fun jangly tambourine in it, which uh, never, which is just going to put a smile on your face as soon as you hear it. So. <laughs> from the tambourine there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like to think that they gave it to the female vocalist so she gets Stevie Nicks. Yes, yes. Pure Stevie Nicks energy right there. Th- this might um, be one of those records where if you interviewed them, they would just be like, yeah, we were listening to a lot of Fleetwood Mac. I could see that. I mean, yeah. there's, it's got that high, but, but that is, that's basically the Brave riff, right? Or it's like a, there's a, a kind it's of It's definitely riff. one that's on that album or on the October Tide album. It's very characteristic of right that in that moment. Well, I'm kind of curious, Did because like we were just talking about with I Light, the Brave Riff is an entire riff archetype. Were they the first ones to do it? I think... Um, yeah, there might be one of those weird timing things where even though Catatonia is the first band, October Tide technically does it first, but they're almost the same band in terms of like who's doing the songwriting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brave Murder Day is 96. Um, let's see. Uh, Renske, Jonas Renske was in October Tide. Rain with, oh no, sorry, Rain Without End is 97. So yeah, Catatonia does it first. Yeah, it's it, it's funny how it, not a lot of people talk about that, but that that riff, I mean, that's a riff as important as like the main Transylvanian hunger riff in terms of its its repercussions across metal guitar technique. That's true. It's just got you know it really isn't. You can tell Liz, it's coming from certain things, right? You can trace it to various sources, more like in goth and like you know goth rock and maybe death doom stuff than black metal. But, like, it's also got black metal repetitiveness, and it's got um, this sort of immediately satisfying, just kind of, like, sullen rock vibe. That I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, I fucking, I, you know, there's a lot of music in this style that isn't great, but um, that's more the fault of the bands. Like, I mean, that is intrinsically, you know, th- that is a good example of a riff that has a sort of 
visceral, sentimental quality to it, and is just undeniable. Right? It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's, it's a it's a classic riff pattern. So I don't have any problem with people biting it, and they do a really good version of it because they keep spicing it up with these these little micro variations that keep mm-hmm. providing more and more texture. And then in that middle break before it returns, you've got a wonderful uh, interchanging vocal section between the harsh vocals, the male cleans, and the female cleans. Um, You know, it's just really rich and really keeps your interest even as it gets so much softer. Because I was thinking, you know, when you hear it, you think, oh, you've got this very rich melodic thing. Maybe they're going to go with something just like a little bit stompier, a little bit Mm -hmm. more minimal and distilled from there kind of like just breaking it down into palm-muted chords or something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, drop out completely, make it super delicate, so when the riff pops back in, it has that outsized effect. It's just really, really smart kind of traditional pop-in-a-good-way songwriting. Yeah, yeah, and all, all being used in a kind of more... Yes, and the, and the extreme metal format gives it the gives them the ability to like do these pop these big pop gestures in a more sort of varied way within each song than you'd ever get on a more like poppy metal record. Right. Um, no. Yeah. I, I, I think know, that's correct. I, I think it's that, that lingering real extreme metal influence that allows yeah. them to play with these ideas and you, make them way more exciting. You know what it is? You know what it's like? It's like almost like they're doing, it's like if you have a sort of pop metal song Right, because that's usually what we mean when we say pop. Right, it mm-hmm. it it um, it will turn around one of those big dramatic moments, maybe two if you're lucky. Right, but that's basically the whole sort of hook principle. Mm-hmm. And this band, this is a four minute and thirty one second song, and within the first that sample you did, which is about a minute and a half, right, we get yeah. um, we get like two plus really big dramatic moments. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's a, it's just they, they really compress these things down. You know, they 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 give you the effect of a twelve minute "My Dying Bride" song in four. That's true too. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, uh, here's here's the parts that, yeah, here's the parts that are the center of this music. So let's like actually emphasize them. Yeah. Um. So my next sample. This is coming towards the end of the album. This is off "Road of Bones." Um. Mm -hmm. And again, we've got a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful part from the uh, the female vocalist on this, uh, which actually reminds me a lot of like Cradle of Filth circa Nymphetamine in terms of the the tone and the arrangements for her. Nymphetamine, not a good album, but outstanding vocal performance from uh, Sarah Jezebel Deva. Um, but this is also going to be an example where you're going to hear some of the heavier stuff. And I just wish it hung on a little bit longer uh, because, you know, these guys are so good at doing these striking, surprisingly heavy moments. I just wish they'd dedicate a little bit more time on the record to it. All right.
yeah, so that's that's a part where it's like a, it's equal parts joy and frustration because I like all those parts a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's like, again, talk about the kind of compressed nature of this record. That's like four kind of distinct passages in just over a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a case where I think a little bit more repetition or a little bit more just hanging on to those heavy parts is really good because I love the way they develop that heavy riff and then Mm -hmm. it's such a cool passage i wish we just kind of stuck on it for another four bars or something um or you know we augmented it a couple times you know with with some additional textures before we drop into that very soft section which again feels harsh to say because that soft section afterwards is so fucking cool and you know it's a really awesome thing i just Maybe maybe these songs are almost too compressed at times. Maybe they should be like six minutes long. They'd so still have way more. Work. They'd still have way more exciting parts than you know at either end of the spectrum, right? Yeah, it's like they um, would still be doing more than the twelve minute "My Dying Pride" song, but it's like all of these ideas would have a little bit more room to breathe, yeah. and then. I think they'd be even more effective. The other thing that's fascinating about this band, I guess we've sort of touched on it, but like they're constantly inverting what is supposed to be the heavy part. Um, Yeah. Or like, so during the heavy part with the vocals, there's no chugga chugga. You don't even get a sawing katatonia riff, right? They're not the kind of hammering guitar um, chords, right? The guitar is doing a kind of... um, it's not delicate, really, but it's just it's doing these sort of glassy sliding chords underneath with a pretty beautiful melody, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of balances against the, uh, uh, the the screaming, and it has the rhythmic quality makes it have the feeling of a you know death metal breakdown, right? But all the the, the real power is coming from the rhythm section, core, and the screaming. And the melody has this kind of power through lightness thing, kind of like on Thine Light, where, you know, he's doing the arpeggio. This band has, like, similar to Thine Light, you get, like, arpeggio moments that are really heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, There are arpeggiated second guitar parts that crop out throughout this and that are awesome, and they're not grabbing center stage. They're just there. If you listen, you'll hear them. Yeah, no, I think um, that's the thing, is, like, these guys are so good at arraying these textures Mm -hmm. and well i mean and obviously they went to an extremely expensive studio because Mm -hmm. the way all these little aspects are tucked into the mix is Mm -hmm. extremely high level like unattainable for most metal bands probably but um yeah i just i can't get away from the sense that certain tracks and certain moments on this are so good I wish they would just get a little bit more towards extreme metal and like the kind of stridently repetitive quality mm-hmm. of extreme metal. I, mm-hmm. I think that maybe these guys are a little bit too hooked on these. They can pull off these awesome dramatic shifts. Oh, and they you know, know what it is? Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah so they, they know how good they are at it. So mm-hmm. they build songs around those shifts. Oh. But their moment-to-moment riffing is so fucking good Mm-hmm. You could you could have at least some songs or some passages that are more built around that as a centerpiece, and I I think it would only only make this music greater. 
Yes, they are. They are drunk with power. Power. They're power. Just, power. power. They're, they're drunk with. They're drunk with power on the lo- the loud soft dynamic that was supposed to be totally done as of ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, but these good. guys are somehow making it cool yeah. again. Other thing, just quick note about the male vocals, which are like just male cleans, and people are finally figuring out how to do them in metal over the last mm-hmm. in extreme metal over the last five years, maybe, which is basically like. Everyone acknowledged that Ison's cleans actually kind of sucked and were only cool because it was Emperor, um, <laughs> and like, uh, and that is not like the starting point you want to start from, and just sort of, you know, rip it up and start from some more interesting point, like something in, something in goth music or in rock and roll or in neo folky stuff or whatever, right? Or just or just mm-hmm. heavy metal singing, um, and. Uh, the vocals here just are, they're so good. Uh, they're like, um, they are, um, they're extremely sort of, you know, it's it's sort of, uh, it's that kind of flamboyant masculinity vibe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like he's, I think like the persona in these vocals is, you know, maybe more so on the last record, but then this one too, it's this kind of like, he's like seducing a maiden, but in a kind of wholesome way. Um, yeah, you know, he's like, he's like, he's, he's like romancing. He's like an elf romancing a human girl or something. Um, <laughs> and he's like, come away with me to my magical world of dark delights. Right. And, and but also, I'm not sure like, who's going to take care of the farm. <laughs> exa- exactly. And he's like, don't worry, here's a pony. Like here, you know, it's like, you know, yeah. Or like he, yeah, he magically makes gold appear in her parents. Like, uh, you know, in the butter churn. Right, um, <laughs> you've you've. This is a little oddly specific black metal guy, dude. Is this, I'm uh, imp- I'm a improv- daydream you've had. <laughs> it was my last. Uh, it was my last hinge date. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, the app was not deleted. <laughs> but uh, but um, but yeah, no, it's um, it it's it's it, it, it's a cool persona, you know. It's like it's kind of like Robert Smith, but you know, not as not as like wimpy um it kind of reminds me of the persona of classic era davy havoc and afi he had this kind of like he had this kind of just like gotta tell you babe just putting it out there right um (laughs) (laughs) all right so um field of reeds uh this is uh there are (laughs) my notes literally say several fluid several cool transitions here so i guess we've already touched on that um But uh, let's just listen to it. It's cool.
dude. Yeah, I think that's my pick for heaviest moment on the record. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um... Uh, you get this, I mean, just one one thing to another, man. But, like, yeah, that idea, you, you take the, uh... You just take, like, a classic melodic, like, good melodath riff, you stretch it out, kind of like Catatonia and October Tide did, and you put it over this, like, Bathory strut, and everything, like, there are, like, six different drops, almost all at once, but sort of layered. You get the fucking, like, uh, um sort of wildly gyrating bagpipe line but it's buried in the back and then you get these other keys over it it's also like the folkiest moment on this record um mm-hmm. uh it, it really they taps into that drone and they also here's a moment where you get the repetition you wanted mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah it mm-hmm. does it, that one sticks a little bit yeah. harder because they just they play around this core idea um yeah no that's really awesome and, and uh and th- and then they go to another heavy part. They're just like, okay, we did the heavy heavy part. Now here's the soft heavy part with like the catatonia <laughs> arpeggio and the screaming, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Then we'll do the heavy soft part and the soft soft part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, one th- one thing worthy of mention, um, yeah. and this is a little bit of a shot in the dark. I just I kind of assume that it has to be true. I'm guessing a lot of this music has to do with like transitional era. Uh, amorphous, like uh, Elegy or Tuanella, uh, which, honestly, I'm just not very well versed in, but I'm guessing they're countrymen who ended up doing something very similar to this. Um, So I'm guessing that's probably a big part of this record's DNA. That that is probably true, and that's something that's a blind spot for me as well. Man, though, I tell you, I keep trying to go back to Tales from the Thousand Lakes, like, Mm -hmm. it's like unlistenable to me. Like, really? <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's like some stuff, just like stuff, just, you know, you know, I like folky pagan stuff, even to the point, but like, you know, like the keyboards are, the the keyboards date really hard. Um, like yeah, I, I, I would love, I, 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 I would love to not say that, but, uh, it's, it's like, they're, they're like all over the place. Um, but the general idea, I wonder if Amorphous gets better as they get into those transitional albums. Yeah, it's it's um, been a long time since I checked out. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll uh, do some Amorphous yeah. listening just to uh, yeah. shore up some of my blind but, spots there. But but I feel like those kind of rippling folk melody lines in there were kind of like what Amorphous was trying to get at. So I can hear that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Is this the... Uh, well, we've really come full circle because the other softest record we've had on the show was probably that Paradise Lost record we covered on our first episode. And now we're kind of winding our way back towards where we started. Oh, we're like Ouroboros licking his own butt.
be for nothing For you will be ruled By an iron hand And somewhere The master Shows his face A grand design Of vintage wealth Sail on wings Of golden bride A blindness that Will free your mind To carry the seed For the years ahead